Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 118. More often than not, a hero's most epic battle is the one you'll never see. It's the battle that goes within him or herself. Kevin Smith. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Videoblocks. Now, Videoblocks is a subscription-based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage everyone could afford. If you're looking for like extra exterior shots or things that you might want to incorporate into any of your projects, whether that be a narrative, documentary, music videos, commercials, these guys got you covered. They've got unlimited daily downloads from a library of over 115,000 HD video clips, as well as a huge selection of After Effects templates for like opening credits, uh, motion graphics titles, company logos, as well as motion backgrounds as well. It's pretty amazing. And on average, uh, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download in a course of a year. And the content does not get stale. They're constantly adding new content to the library every month. So it keeps it keeps it very, very fresh and you always have something new to look forward to. And everything you download is 100% royalty free. Even if your subscription is canceled, you have unrestricted usage rights for anything you want to do, including personal projects and commercial projects. And you keep whatever you download and maintain the usage rights forever. Now, Video Blocks is offering the tribe a yearly subscription for 99 bucks. That's 50 bucks off the usual price tag just for you guys, just for the tribe. That's less than 10 bucks a month. So to get this deal, just head over to videoblocks.com slash hustle. That's videoblocks, V-I-D-E-O blocks.com forward slash hustle for this exclusive offer. Don't forget to head over to filmfestivaltips.com to download my free guide and I'll show you how I was able to get into over 600 international film festivals for either cheap or free. Now, I wanted to give a great big shout out and thank you to all of the indie film hustlers who took advantage of my indie film syndicate free month that, uh, promotion that I did for Black Friday, uh, all weekend through Black Friday and even through uh, Cyber Monday. And uh, I, we signed up a lot of people on into the syndicate, and I hope you guys are all getting something out of it. Enjoy your free month. I hope you guys stick around. 
We have a lot of cool stuff coming up in the next coming months. We just also added in three new courses, I think three or four new courses, one on Periscope, uh, how to market on Periscope, one on Bing, on how to uh, do marketing on Bing and doing ads on Bing, and also a sneak preview of the Super 16 Masterclass. So if you're ever interested in learning how to shoot film, that is a course for you, and you get a, a great sneak peek in the syndicate as well. And the Facebook group is doing extremely well, and I know a lot of you guys are really talking a bunch and asking questions and interacting with the community, and it's just so wonderful to see. So thank you again all so, so much. So today, guys, we've got a really cool episode. I've got Zach Knutson on the show today. I reached out to Zach because we have a mutual friend, and Zach's a director, and uh, he's been working with, uh, he, he kind of made his bones with Kevin Smith. He worked on, actually, the first time I saw him was in the behind the scenes of Clerks 2 years ago when they were doing webisodes, when webisodes were not something being done at all in the industry. And I saw Zach uh, and his partner at the time that were shooting all these behind the scenes videos and webisodes for Kevin and uh, for Clerks 2, and then they kind of kept going with it because he also was the director of... um, Kevin Smith's Too Fat for 40, Burn in Hell, uh, Sold Out, uh, An Evening with Kevin Smith. Just all these uh, those wonderful, if you haven't seen those Kevin Smith uh, stand-up bits, they're hilarious. But he directed all of those, and then he got, uh, he got this idea to make this insane documentary called Milius, based on the rebel filmmaker, writer-director, probably the most dangerous man <laughs> in the film industry, John Milius. He uh, he wrote. Uh, I can't. I mean, I can't even go into John Milius because it's just going to go on for days. He he's written so many scripts and, and it's responsible for so many amazing movies. It's not even funny. But he made this great documentary about Milius. Uh, also shot a bunch of stuff for Marvel with their uh, some television documentaries. And he just finished uh, directing his first narrative feature called Supercon, starring Maggie Grace, Clancy Brown, Mike Epps, and. John freaking Malkovich. So uh, that was really amazing to talk to him a little bit about how it was to work with uh, such an amazing cast. And Supercon's a really funny, funny movie. Uh, we'll t- you'll hear all about the, the movie in the, uh, in the interview. But it's a really great uh, episode. Uh, Zach, I wanted to bring him on because he has, uh, you know, he's an indie filmmaker through and through. And he, you know, learned from one of the masters of indie filmmaking which is Kevin Smith. You know, he's one of the OG uh, filmmakers from our generation. Both Zach and I are pretty close to age, um, if not the exact age. And uh, and I wanted to kind of pick his brain about what it was like working with Kevin, what is it like doing his first movie, what the, the, the trials and tribulations were of making Milius, which was, uh, I think he told me like it was a four or five year. I don't remember exactly. It was a long time they were on that. And he got to interview everyone from Spielberg to Lucas uh, Scorsese, everybody. I mean, he interviewed uh, everybody. It was such a great documentary. But um, but he dropped some really great knowledge bombs, some amazing advice on uh, how to work on production. He also lets us know what his favorite comfortable shoe is to direct in, which uh, I am going to be buying a pair myself because they're very, very important to have good shoes while you're directing. If you're the kind of director that Zach and I are, which we're always on the always moving around, never just sitting around at a video village. But anyway, I digress, guys. So without any further ado, guys, I want to bring on Zach Knudsen. 
guys I'd like to welcome to the show, Zach Knutskin. Knutskin? Knutsen? Knutsen. Knutsen. Thank you, sir. It's sorry. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, brother. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we have a mutual friend, Austin, who was my gaffer on Meg, and uh, he said these, these two film geeks have to get together. So uh, I reached out, and uh, here you are. Uh, like I said, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, Austin. Uh, Austin was my DP on a couple of uh, Marvel projects I did. Oh, we'll definitely get in. We'll get into that in, in a little bit. But how? Cool. So, how did you get into the film business in the first place? Um, slept with a lot of guys. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to be in the movies. I didn't know how or what, but um, I always wanted to be in the movies. And I grew up in Orange County, California, which is about an hour, hour and a half south of L.A., which I always say it's kind of like living in New Jersey to New York. You're just right across the river, but you can never get to it. And um, I decided after uh, I didn't uh, – I had a football scholarship to go to Colorado State. And I decided I didn't want to play football. I wanted to be in the movies. And I moved out to L.A. and tried being an actor. And I got a little bit of success. And then the bottom fell out. But I ended up realizing I liked what was going on behind the camera more than I liked what was going on in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. And uh, just started doing things like I was a PA on this movie called Speed with Keanu Reeves. And I just started <laughs> doing – I kept doing the little bit parts. And no, so, so stop right there. Stop right there. You, were, you yeah. were a PA on Speed? That's pretty, yes. that's pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was a PA on Speed. How was, how, was that, how was that experience? It was awesome. It was awesome. We got to, work, got to walk with John DeBont, and we were shooting at the LA at LAX. We, I did all the freeway stuff, and then I did all the stuff at LAX. I didn't do anything else. And that alone was like, I think that was three months. Jeez. It was an awesome experience just to kind of walk, uh, watch a movie that level and how it was going because Keanu Reeves was famous, but Sandra Bullock wasn't. Mm -hmm. And Keanu wasn't the Keanu that he is now, mm -hmm. you know? And it was just, it was awesome to kind of see that experience and watch that massive machine move forward. And you're just sitting there going, yeah, I want to do this. This is what <laughs> I want to do. This is great. So you guys just started doing the uh, PA stuff and that led into, I started working in the office because I thought that might be a better route. So mm -hmm. I was in the production office and I did a bunch of stuff there and that led into me meeting Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier mm -hmm. on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back after I did this horrible TV show for Fox. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then they just kind of went, well, you're kind of all right. We'll, we'll keep you around. And <laughs> How yeah, was it? Like ten years. So how? So so you work with Ke that brings us right into Kevin, man. You know, Kevin is is a indie film legend. Uh, he's one of the first guys to come out with uh, Clerks and the whole twenty seven thousand dollars. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. You know, I'm sure everybody listening knows Kevin's story. And and Kevin's been uh, not shy about being in the spotlight over the last... <laughs> Two decades or so. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> I watch Comic Book Man all the time, uh, among all the all the other things. So, and I the first time I saw you, believe it or not, was I saw you when I didn't know who you were, but I saw you in the behind the scenes of Clerks too, because he was shooting all these behind the scenes and releasing them, I think, weekly or something like that. And uh, you were uh, you were a part of the team that was putting it together. Yeah, it was me. It was essentially the guys doing that was me and Joey Figueroa, Mm -hmm. who uh, was my partner for years and years and years and years and years. It was just me and Joey doing everything. We did all the behind the scenes. We did all the webisodes. We did all we did the feature length documentary. It was just him and me. We did everything. Yeah. And I remember it because Kevin, of course, brought you guys in uh, in front of the camera a bunch of times uh, and you were explaining how you were doing it. And it was during a God, When was it? Clerks 2 was what? What year was that? Ten years. It's uh, I think it's ten years ago now. Right. So it's just a little bit after I released my first short film. So there was not a lot of information out there on how to make an independent film back then. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was kind of the, the interesting thing is when we started doing webisodes, which nobody knew who the what, what the, the hell, hell that was. Were. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I mean, try, it was a- try pitching that. To the Weinstein Company, or I think it was yeah, it was yeah, it was Weinstein's, Weinstein yeah. Company at that point. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, okay, so we're going to put out things on the web. And the nice thing is they didn't know what the hell what it was. And the only person even doing it at that point was Peter Jackson. Yeah. When he was doing all the stuff for, I think. Lord of the Rings. It was yeah. Lord, yeah, it was all the Lord of the Rings stuff at that time. So it was him and us. Only thing is he had Lord of the Rings and we had a convenience store. <laughs> you know, he had blue screen and monsters and visual effects. And it was like, we got dick and fart jokes. So that really, I attribute that. To, that's where I learned how to edit. That's where I learned how that was really because we were doing, I think we'd put up webisodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays mm-hmm. and YouTube had just come out. So we were able to put our stuff on the front page of YouTube. And Back by the then, end of the yeah. day, yeah, we'd have by the end of the day 150,000 hits. And we right. were like, oh, huge, huge. Look at that. Amazing. Now everybody's got like 22 million. Or yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, I would kill for 150,000 now. <laughs> but, yeah, and, uh, actually, and actually, it was Ming Chen who would set us up with YouTube. So I'd go, okay, Ming, here's a new one. Ming would get it up and put it on the front page of YouTube. Sorry, I got a plane going overhead. I live by Burbank Airport. No worries. And, um, that was really kind of a hardcore film school was learning how to shoot and edit and doing it on a turnaround because the turnaround was insane. Oh, I know you had to week, you week. hours and then we'd edit for another four when we got back to the house mm-hmm. in Orange County because mm-hmm. that's where we shot the movie. 
it was just insane, but it was fun. It was really fun. Yeah, it was. That was, and I, I love Clerks too, man. I, I was always, I'm a, I was a very big fan of the movie, but I was, I was, that was the first time I saw something like Webisodes. You're right. And YouTube was in its infancy, basically. It was just coming out that the quality wasn't that great. I remember it was all standard def and, yeah, uh, the, the compression kind of sucked and all this kind of stuff, but uh, but that was the first time I saw webisodes really, and uh, and especially in the film business. And Kevin was always a little bit ahead of the curve on some stuff. Uh, he was well, he was one of the first guys to kind of get his hands into the internet when it came out. Like he had a message board before anybody. He had this internet presence before anybody. So mm-hmm. which and he's done pretty well with it. And he's the first guy to do the whole podcast thing. Which yep. you know, which obviously he still podcasts like a crazy man. Uh, it's pretty. It's, it's very interesting. So you worked with him on well, how many projects? You were with him ten years. So what did you do for yeah, him? Yeah, my first my first time I worked with Kevin, I was the production secretary on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and then that rolled into being the visual effects assistant on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, mm-hmm. and then on Jersey Girl, I was the post production coordinator. I think that's what my title was. <laughs> okay. And then after Jersey Girl, which was insane because that, that was a that, movie lasted eighteen months. Yeah, but that was like the biggest movie he had ever done at that point, right? That was a big oh, budget, yeah. big time. It was, I th- yeah, I, yeah, it was because we had like a, I think it was a thirty thirty yeah. dollar budget, and we had Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez and when they were already Ben Affleck Carlin. and Gen- they were already Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. It wasn't like when they were doing Mall Rats when Ben was nobody. Oh no, uh, yeah, this is ben. ben had already won an Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Ben was Ben, Jennifer was and then that whole Benifer crap. Benifer happened. And, and that, that destroyed everything. We had months where we would just, we tested that movie into the ground and Kevin wouldn't change it. It was a whole thing. And but and then it was also he worked with a uh Vilma Sigmon as a DP, which was the first time he had worked with like a fucking legend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, really. I mean, Vilmos was Vilmos was Vilmos. Vilmos was yeah. God rest, God rest, rest in peace, brother. I mean, he was he was a legend. Uh, and when I remember that, I was like, I'm sorry. I paint with light. Yes, I paint with lights. What is this dick and fart joke? I don't understand. <laughs> I remember we getting the call. Mosier telling me he goes, Vilmos is going to be the DP. I was like, Zygmunt? <laughs> your hunter. He just go. It was like you know, the rest of development. You go. Really? You know, just, close, like, close, and close encounters. Really? Yeah. That, that guy? <laughs> oh, that's great! Oh, oh, it's huge. See, uh, that was yeah. I'm sure. How did Kevin work with him? Because I know that must have been an interesting uh, clash of styles. <laughs> I don't. I, I think. It, I think everything was fine. I just Kevin, because and I, I took this away from my own movies or when you know I just did my own feature. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin likes working with people that he likes. And I think he'd eternally after, I think Kevin really wanted to work with Dave Klein again, mm-hmm. you know, because Dave had done, uh, clerks and mall rats, but he didn't get to do dogma. And Dave kind of went off and did his own thing, kind of mm-hmm. cutting his own teeth and learning. Cause nobody gets to be DP straight out of film school, but Dave was, but Dave hadn't really learned the craft. He'll be the first one to admit it. Sure. I mean, Dave's, Dave does Homeland right now on Showtime and he's been nominated for like, three Emmys or something like that. Right. Right. Which and, is gorgeous. Uh, a gorgeous show. But he also, Oh, it's, it's awesome. And it's gorgeous right show. Up, it's like hits that sweet spot for Dave, mm-hmm. uh, who I love to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I think, I think Kevin, no matter who he worked with, he always wanted to work with Dave again mm-hmm. because Dave was his guy. 
He wanted yeah. to work with Dave. So Vilmos was Vilmos, and he respected him, and I think Vilmos respected Kevin. But I think it's that thing of, I want to work with Dave. Dave's my guy. Dave's yeah, because, I mean, they, came, I mean, they came up together. They came up together. Exactly. You know, and uh, that must have been. So So you worked with, you. so you did um, Jersey Girl, then where did you go from there? Just kept working on with him, but basically on every project? Well, after Jersey Girl, I I I... I was the line producer, UPM, whatever you want to call it, on a James Frank on James Franco's first first directorial effort called The Ape, which Scott Mosier edited and Dave Klein shot. I think we shot that in twelve days in downtown LA. So because I wanted to get into producing, I wanted to kind of spread my wings a bit. Sure. And I did two movies with James and Vince, his his producing partner, and mm-hmm. then we went into Clerks too. And unclear. Well, it wasn't good. After when we were on post on Jersey Girl, we had lots of downtime because we were just sitting around waiting for people to make light Weinstein (laughs) company to figure out what was going on with Geely and all this other. Oh gosh, that yeah. I mean, he just got poor Kev, man. Just got caught in the freaking eye of the storm, man. That thing. It was. It was. I've never seen anything like that. It's. I mean, yeah. It was insane. It was insane, and then to be caught in the kind of the, the crossfire itself—it yeah. was—it was silly. Yeah, but it was during that time. All of a sudden, it came up that you know Kevin came in. He was having meetings, and he goes, "I'm going to do Green Hornet, so we're going to go to Prague for a year." Mm-hmm. And Joey and I heard that. We're like, "Well, we just don't want to go to Prague to do what we're doing now. Nothing like I didn't get in the movie business to be a post production, you know, supervisor or anything like that. Although I've done it, I mm-hmm. like it." Mm-hmm. But I want to do creative. So we were so we kind of figured out this game plan, like, all right, the webisodes we did like before or the webisodes, we're gonna do webisodes. We're gonna mm-hmm. do these things. We're gonna do it. And this was before the Peter Jackson stuff or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're gonna put out stuff on the internet and we can do it. And this is gonna be so we made this whole pitch to Kevin about when we're in Prague, we're gonna do our jobs at the same time we're gonna shoot all this other stuff. And him and Scott were like, We love that idea. Like, mm-hmm. that's great because that's something nobody's doing right now. You're looking forward. It's the whole thing. And then Green Hornet didn't happen. Right, right. And, and Kevin was going to do Fletch. So uh, just uh, going to do it with Fletch. <laughs> yeah, Fletch would have been awesome. <laughs> I, I read the Fletch script. It was really good. It was really good. It was one of those like, ah, oh, man. So when that, <laughs> so when Fletch didn't happen, then it was like, then Clerks 2 came up and we were actually doing we were doing the documentary with uh, the post-production supervisor at the time who actually directed it. It's called uh, Back to the Well mm-hmm. on the Clerks X DVD. Mm-hmm. And um, we were doing it. And we were shooting the interview with Scott and Kevin at the Quick Stop. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. In Jersey, doing their interview, and it was after that Kevin first mentioned, "I think I'm, I think I'm thinking about doing a sequel. Mm-hmm. I think I'm doing Clerks too." And it was just kind of that surreal moment where you're with these guys who started in, their career with Clerks, and you're in the location and the whole thing, and it's three o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. and then you go, "Oh shit, they're doing it! You're going to do a sequel to Clerks." By the way, yeah. does Kevin does Kevin own that damn Quick Stop at this point? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, it's like a freaking landmark. Tried, I, I, I think he tried to at one point. I think I, I remember hearing a story where he was going to buy the building, yeah, not the quick buy the building, uh-huh. and then they were going to put a second story on top, and then the second story was where the Viewskew offices were going to be, which would have been awesome. But I, I don't think that I, don't, I think the family who owns it was just kind of like, no, this is our business. Like we like this place, and they the same family still owns it. Wow, but they have obviously they they love Kevin, so they do they work with Kevin when he needs it. They get a not they get a lot of business of people who go in there just to buy you know a gallon of milk or eggs or a pack of cigarettes or go you know you mean I, was, I got to drink this coffee hot. Yeah, you know, <laughs> every day, every day. I'm yeah. sure every single every single day. It's it's yeah. It's it's a tourist attraction at this point. Oh, it's I mean it's Leonardo, New Jersey. I think that's the only tourist attraction in Leonardo, <laughs> New Jersey. So um, so you were saying. Oh, um, so when Clark's two came up, we, we pitched this idea of, okay, we're just going to do webisodes. We're going to do a feature length documentary. We're going to do webisodes. We're going to do the entire DVD. We're going to do all this stuff and worship. We'll shoot all the EPK. That's awesome. And they said, yes. And that was it. That's when Joey and I kind of decided we, that's when we formed chop shop. And that's when we kind of did all of our stuff. Moving forward, we moved out of working for people and working for ourselves and making our own stuff. That's kind of where it all started. So then basically you had you just basically built your own production company and then your main client was Kevin. Yeah, exactly. Main main client was Kevin. That's where the bread and butter came out of. Mm-hmm. We did some other stuff. We did you know, we did stuff for Sony, we did stuff for Panasonic, we did mm-hmm. stuff for Disney. But really, I mean, what we did was Kevin. You, you were Kevin you, Kevin's Kevin guys. was always coming up with stuff too. It's like he did the evening with Kevin Smith stuff, <gasps> which genius. You shot that yeah. stuff right too, right? Well, we, I didn't do the first two. Mm-hmm. The first two were done by Sony and then the contract was done with Sony. So he was like, I want to do it with Bob and Harvey. So we shot the next, the two or three. He's got, he's got, he's got like 45 of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, he's got a bunch of them. It's almost like, and they start blurring together. It's like, which one they did you do. talk about? The one about Red State. You're talking about the one about Bruce Willis. You start yeah. kind of breaking is it the them is it the Prince story? Which is the one? <laughs> yeah, like Prince, yeah. yeah, Prince is I think the first second. one. Was Prince is it first one? I think the Prince and the John Peters story oh, was yeah. the first one. 
because it, it, but it was like three hours. I mean, it just keeps going. <laughs> oh, we did the one we did in New Jersey for his birthday, which I think might have, it wasn't the last one, it was the second, or maybe it was the first one. Mm-hmm. It was that this whole thing was going on in the press about Dane Cook and Dave Chappelle were going back and forth about doing sets as long as they could. Like all of a sudden, Dane Cook did four hours at the comedy store. Then mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle did five hours at this place. So Kevin came out and he goes, what's the record? At that point, it was like seven hours. Mm-hmm. I think Dave Chappelle did seven hours in like Cleveland. And he goes, okay, I'm going to do seven and a half hours. That's great. We're like, what? Yeah, he could, like, talk, he could talk for seven and a half hours. Sure, why he not? Did. He did, and he didn't sit down. We had to shoot. <laughs> we didn't even think about it because we'd never done it before, I don't think. We had to shoot the ending of the DVD first because we knew people were going to be leaving because by the time seven and a half hours is going to be up, it was going to be like 3.30 in the morning. And there's so, going to be 15 yeah. people in the audience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But surprisingly, I think most people stayed. Some people, young kids and jobs and babysitters. But I mean, it was like an event. It was was an event. Great way to put it. Great way to put it. So then you worked worked with a a bunch of those. uh, So you did a bunch of those videos for them. And and then uh, where did you go from there? Let's see. We did all those. And then let's see. What's it? And then we did some, we did some stuff on. I'm, uh, forgive me, it's boring. Oh, and then we we produced a show. Yeah, spoilers, right? Didn't you do spoilers? We did spoilers. That was Hulu's first original show, which mm-hmm. uh, which we did. Mm-hmm. We did that for a season, and then uh, they did season two, uh, I believe, up in Vancouver or something like that. Because mm-hmm. we were of, down of here, and at which point we were trying to get our own kind of stuff going, and then I started writing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get into writing and directing. That's what I wanted to do. And then, oh, and then. Technically, we kind of rolled over during this entire time towards the end. We started doing Milius, which is a documentary I did on writer-director John Milius. Which I was going to come into Milius uh, because, seriously, I just, if, who has, if, for anybody listening, if you guys have not seen the John Milius story, uh, the documentary, it's, uh, it's really remarkable. And if you're a film geek, uh, you've got to watch it. Uh, it is. A, it's, a, it's, it's film geek heaven. I, I will say that it really is. I mean, you, everybody and their grandmother. You so that's the thing, dude. Like you talked to everybody: Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola, and like every, every like I think Scorsese is in. I mean, everybody. Yep. Yeah, we are the, the Palma only documentary yeah. to get all those guys in one. We are the only documentary to have all those guys shoot original interviews for. It wasn't like taken from archival footage because it's John. Yeah, because John is that guy. You know, and for people who don't know, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about John from from what I know about, but he was like one of the best writers in the history of the business, and he's made how many movies? How many of his movies have been made? Um, God, I, it's been a while now. Yeah. I'm going to go into my John Milius bank here. I mean, John. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, John started out at USC with he was a uh, he was uh, in the same class as George Lucas. Mm-hmm. And it, George Lucas, Randall, Randall Kleiser, who did Grease mm-hmm. and uh, Blue Lagoon, White Fang. Uh, Randall Kleiser was there. Uh, John Carpenter was there, by the way. <laughs> oh, that guy. Uh, oh, that guy. Yeah. But John Carpenter won't have anything to do with USC, oh. which, is, which is kind of an awesome thing because they tried suing him over Halloween because he used their equipment to shoot Halloween. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Um, oh, that's freaking hilarious because it was such a huge hit. So anytime there's a huge hit, you know, the lawsuits will come out. Yeah, exactly. 
and but all these guys were there learning how to make film. And at the time, you didn't go to film school and actually come out and be a director. They were like, you'll probably end up doing like you know industrial films or things like that. Yeah, at that time, there was no pathway to going into the studio system out of film school during that time. It was you know, you, Coppola was the first was guy. Literally a shack. It, I mean that not, not the school, but the film school was literally a shack. Yeah, it's not. I just I literally I just went to speak at USC uh, like a month or two ago. It's it's I mean seriously it's like it's well, like going to Rome it's like going to Rome building the Schwarzenegger building I we mean all these like this Mecca's building yeah I'm, like, I'm doing they're taking me around the tour and they're like yeah we have five sound stages here I'm like I'm looking like I'm like are you freaking kidding me man? yeah it was literally old stables that they yeah, had converted I heard about into that this film school. And that's where John and all these guys kind of learned the basis of their craft. And then John went over to work at AIP. I think that was his first real job. He wrote him and his writing partner. God, uh, we didn't. We, we weren't able to put this into the doc. Mm-hmm. Not because we couldn't tell the story, but John tells it. In order to pay the bills, him and his buddy were living in West Hollywood. They wrote softcore porn. Wow. Not movies, <laughs> but like for magazines. Sure, sure. Which I was like, well, we got to find some of these. I want to find the stuff that John Milius wrote because you knew it was going to go into some like, you know, she wore sexy lingerie when World War II would go into some tirade, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but John was the guy that if they were right, if they were doing a short, they always went to John to write it because John was the best writer. And he continued to be that for his entire career. I mean, John, I mean, and little, little known fact, and I, you say this in the, in the doc is like, he wrote that amazing, um, monologue in Jaws yeah, for, as for Quint. As Carl Gottlieb wants to take credit for it. Steven Spielberg says it was John. It was really John and, and, uh, Shaw. Yeah. Did it on wrote 10 pages over the phone one night. Uh-huh. He showed it to Shaw. Shaw goes, this is great, but it's too long. Yeah. And he took John's 10 pages, put it in the five pages and. That's what we got in the movie, and it's you know it's the you ever see a doll's eye or a shark's eye? It's just like it's 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 genius. I mean, he did Conan, which is still so. I mean, Conan, Red Dawn. uh, He wrote Dirty Harry. I mean, seriously, he did rewrites too. He was a big rewrite guy. Yeah, he was. He was a ghost. He was the guy always behind the scenes, just rewriting everything. He was the go-to guy. Yep. Yep. He was. He was a rock star, but he was a quiet rock star. That's the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't the time of. The five, it wasn't the Shane Black days where they were making $5 million a, a script. Well, actually, he, he broke the record when he was going to – he wrote a script called The Life and Times of, Joy, of Judge Roy Bean. Yeah, I've heard about that. written it for Lee Marvin. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
And now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Lee Marvin had the script and uh, he was doing a movie with Paul Newman's the story. Mm-hmm. And Paul Newman picked it up because Lee had a couple drinks or whatever, went to his trailer. Paul picked up the script and read it and fell in love with it. Called Warner Brothers, says, I want the script. And so they called John. John said, sure, you can have it, but I'm going to direct it. They said, that's not possible. You've never directed a movie before. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, I have. They go, no, you've, you, you've never directed a movie before. You're, you're not because John had done Dillinger for AIP. Mm-hmm. Doesn't count. And, uh, doesn't yeah. count. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, count. That, right. that, that's a that's an independent. That's that Roger Corman shit. Yeah, over here we do real movies. Right. So John said, "Well, I'll tell you what, it's gonna it's this price with me directing, or it's this price with me not directing." He pulled a Fra- he pulled a Frank Darabont. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he pulled exactly. a Frank Darabont for Yeah, and the the longer it went, the higher the price went. So John actually broke the record at the time for the highest price ever paid for a script, which at the time was $330,000. Back in the, what, 70s? Oh, this would be, I think this would be the late 60s, maybe 1970. Oh, Jesus. That's, a, that's, that's basically like a $3 million payday back then. Oh, huge. Yeah. Huge. And John, if you look, I think we've even got a couple of the old Variety articles where it was like, and people were pissed. Because they're like, this is going to ruin writer, you know, all this kind of stuff. Of course. But John, yeah, but John was the first one to kind of go, look, if you want me to direct, it'll be nothing. But if you don't want me to direct, you're going to pay for it. And they paid for it. That kind of set John up. And the other thing it did was it enabled, you know, guys like Francis to be able to bring John on to do things like it gave John freedom to do other things. He could write right. Apocalypse Now for Francis for nothing because he loved Francis. Right. So, he could do this kind of stuff and they all helped each other. That's the one thing I wish a lot more is did now, which is help each other out. You know, you, you know, it, it, you know that's something I, I talk about, man, on, on, that's one of the reasons why I created Indie Film Hustle in the first place. I wanted to help other filmmakers and, and a lot of, a lot of filmmakers, man, they hoard knowledge and at the and I'm like, dude, why are you going to hoard the knowledge? You know, it, Let's you know raise a rising tide lifts all boats, man. Exactly. You know, and uh, I just I just heard a great quote by Robert Rodriguez uh, the other day, where he says, "If you compete with other people, no one will help you. But if you compete with against yourself, everybody will help you." It's true. It's totally true. It, I am a, I am a big believer in that. Yeah, you just help each other out, and that was the thing about those guys. And from all the documentaries that I've seen on. The, the the core group, which is George, Lucas, Spielberg, Coppola, Milius, De Palma, they were all kind of like the barbarians at the gate. And they're like, look, one of us is not going to be able to knock this door down. But if all of us do it, and Scorsese as well, all of us do it, we can we can do it together. And they just helped each other. And I think what was the points thing, you got, there was a points joke in the, in the documentary, if I remember, which was a great thing about, Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Somebody got, <laughs> yeah. Milius got points on what star Wars. And then, yeah, no, they made a deal. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg and John Milius. They all had movies coming out. Right. <laughs> so, and they were all buddies. They were like, like Steven, when, when John was doing the wind and the lion, Steven would come in and help edit the action stuff because that's what he was really good at. Mm-hmm. And when, Stephen had a speech that had to be done. That's where John had come in. Mm-hmm. And Lucas was very much in the, into the technical aspects of things and visual effects and editing techniques. So mm-hmm. that's where he would come in. So they all helped each other out. And one day they said, you know what? Let's all trade points on our movies. <laughs> so, so, so if one of us, because one of us is going to hit, if one of us hits, we all win. 
it. And they were like, great, good idea. So John <laughs> had so what year is uh, it? This is what this this is before uh, Star Wars, this obviously. Is the 70s. This oh, is this before, is 1975 or 1976. Before Jaws and before uh No, after. After, after Jaws. They were, they were already successful because the movies that they had coming out was uh, they traded points. It was two points to each of them. Mm-hmm. And sorry, I got another plane going overhead. No, no, uh, it was Lucas had Star Wars coming out. Spielberg had Close, Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind, and John had Big, Big Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> so all of a sudden, these movies come out, and it's like you know, Star Wars. Close Encounters is huge, but Star Wars becomes a cultural milestone. Yeah, and when Big Wednesday came out. <laughs> Big Wednesday, by all intents and purposes, was a flop. It's now a cult classic, and it's yeah. Everett Surfer's favorite movie and the most accurate depiction of it. Uh-huh. But it's like you know, so yeah, John's got points on uh, Star Wars on on Star Wars and uh, Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Gun. So those points alone, you're good. <laughs> yeah, until as we tell in the until we uh, tell us a story in the documentary, his manager, uh, his business manager, took all his money. Oh, <gasps> no. Yeah. That'll, that'll make your butthole pucker. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's where John John went to David Milch. There, here's a story. It's in the doc, but I'll tell the story. Sure. Essentially, John, his business manager, took all his money, just swiped it, and it was heartbreaking because John had worked his entire career and had built this, and then all of a sudden it's gone. John's now got an ex-wife, three kids. Yeah. Not a good place to be. So, but he, how long ago did he get get taken? Oh, this it wasn't that long ago because how John John's son was in going to college. John's son wanted to be a lawyer. He wanted want to go to law school. Mm-hmm. So John had to kind of go hat in hand to David Milch and say, "You've got this show, Deadwood. I want to be a staff writer on it." Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I remember that from the doc. Yeah, yeah. And David Milch said, "You're crazy. You wrote Apocalypse Now. You can't be a staff writer. Like that's that's not possible." So what Milch did was Milch wrote him a check for the first two years of tuition, I think it was. Oh man! Milch wrote a check and said, "Here, here you go. Just, just John, go, go, go. I want you to be John. I don't want you to be a staff writer on Deadwood." And as the story goes, and um, Ed O'Neill, Al Bundy, for anybody, sure. Ed O'Neill tells the story because he's really good friends with Milch. And a couple years, uh, a couple, I think a year later, John was able to sell the or. John had Rome. I think it was Rome. Yeah. And he was, and all of a sudden, so John had Rome on the air and he got that going. And all of a sudden, one day, John, David Milch got a check. And he goes, son of a bitch. He called up Ed O'Neill. He goes, you believe this crazy fucking millions? He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, he just paid me back. He goes, I just opened up an envelope, got a check from John. He goes, he's the only son of a bitch who's ever paid me back in my entire life. Wow. And, and if anybody knows the story of David Milch, he's, he's, he's a renowned gambler. Mm-hmm. So that's really saying something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it also goes to show John's character. Like, you know, John wasn't going to let his friends hang. That's, you know? that's, it's so, I mean, so if, if you guys haven't been sold already, you've got to watch that movie. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, guys, because it's, we could talk about John Milius for the next three hours uh, easily. <laughs> it's on Hulu. If you have epics, it's on epics. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a great doc, and it took you how long to make it? Oh God, five years! I think from beginning to end, it was five years. How did I just out of curiosity, man? How the hell do you get that started? Do you just call John up and go, "Hey, I want to make a doc about you"? Uh, a guy who'd been working with 
Kevin, and I got to know really well this guy by the name of Ken Plume. Mm-hmm. He had done this interview with John that was like 47 or 67 pages or something. He, he used to work for IGN. And mm-hmm. 10 years prior, he did this interview with John that was epic. Mm-hmm. And I read it, and it was in that interview was the basis of the documentary because I didn't know, like, I didn't know John did all this ghost writing for like all the, um, uh, the Harrison Ford. Uh, the uh, Jack Ryan movies. Okay. He ghost, he ghost writer on that? Oh, yeah. Matt, <sighs> uh, one of the biggest scenes, uh, I think it was uh, Clear and Present Danger. He yeah. did this whole thing about um, they were driving down the street and the Mexican cartels are pinned the Secret Service guys. Secret Service actually uses that scene to show people this is the right way of doing it. The movie got it right because John did it. Wait a minute! That amazing scene when they got pinned down between the 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 buildings and they get all blocked in—that's John scene. Yeah, that was all John. That was all John sitting at lunch one day with Mace Newfeld and Harrison Ford with salt and salt and pepper shakers and I think a napkin and showing them how it would be done. Jeez, that's and like then, the best part of the movie. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I no. so clearly remember that. It's so amazing. That's all John Millis, and I think he when they asked for payment, he said, "I don't need any pay." Just buy me a brand new Suburban filled with cigars. <laughs> Fair enough. You got a brand new Suburban filled with cigars. You know, seriously, man. I mean, they just don't make them like that anymore, do they? Oh, and John has got a thing where, you know, he would he would make the head of the studio in his deal. He got a brand new gun because John's a huge gun guy. Yeah. People like to paint him. He's, he's just to the right of Attila the Hun. He's really not. <laughs> you know, and don't get me wrong. I don't think he, you know, is going to. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. He, John likes his Second Amendment. Yes. Like that. Yeah. But he would have the, he, he would have, he would want the head of the studio to present him a gun as a gift to the completion of the contract. So he has these amazing, you know, Italian handmade rifles and shotguns and all this kind and of stuff. And that was part of his contract. Was part of his deal. So he got paid and then he got a new shotgun or a new handgun or a vintage this or whatever. But that was part of his contract. If I So this is this is I'm going to just share with you one of my dreams as a director one day. If I ever have the opportunity to do a studio movie, I I want I want to do something similar, but I just like I would like the entire Criterion collection on Blu-ray. Oh, th- that you'll get easily. That's like I, I just, I just, I just want the entire Criterion collection. If it's not on Blu-ray, give me the DVD and the Blu-ray. I want them all for life. It's <laughs> not on. Uh, is not in print anymore. You go on eBay and find it. Get it to me. I want one, one through whatever the hell number. I is. want them all. I want them all. I might never see them all, but just in case, I want them all. <laughs> That's that. That would be. That would be my. That would be one of my uh, my dreams. <laughs> And it's not asking a lot, honestly. <laughs> Hell no, and that stuff's good too, man. Oh, those guys are uh, Scott and Kevin chasing Amy was put out by Criterion. Yeah, and every every time they put out a DVD, would send it to Scott, and I just after a week, I'd be like, "Can I borrow that? Can I borrow that? Can I borrow that?" <laughs> I just kind of keeps taking all his Criterions to go through. Oh uh, yeah, no. So uh, by the way, Scott, how is Scott to work with as a producer, man? He must be he must be a pretty cool dude. Scott Moyer's a dream. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only way I can, he's, he is, he's, he's awesome. I, I, I really, I have a hard time even describing Scott to people because he's just, 
undescribable. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, the guy, he's been a champion for me. Mm-hmm. He helps me out with anything I want to do. He's a great sounding board, like even now with Supercon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie I just did. It's like, he's open, like, I'll watch Cut. I'll give you notes. He's been, a, he was a producer on Milius. He's the guy who helped us find the money in order to go out and do it, which wow. is something. He's going to be a consulting producer on a couple of documentaries I got going. Like, mm-hmm. he's just... He's awesome. Yeah, there's no other way to put it. He's awesome. He's as we call him, he's just Mosher. Now, one uh, before we we move on from Milius, uh, since you were able to sit down with these freaking legends, do you have any stories behind the scenes of like talking to Spielberg or Lucas or Coppola or Scorsese or De Palma? Any of these? Any any cool stories? Lucas, I wasn't there. I was in Mexico City. I didn't. I didn't do the interviews for Lucas or Schwarzenegger, which are two of the interviews I wanted to do because I was in Mexico City doing a doing a Mel Gibson movie. Okay. <laughs> so I, needed, I was like, you got to go do this. I need the money. Yeah. Because we were financing it all ourselves at that point. They, sure. They were the first two big names to sign on. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's see, Spielberg. We chased Spielberg for I think four years until we finally got him. Mm-hmm. And then when we got him, we went to Amblin at Universal, and I'm sitting there doing the interview with him because we had a deal. Joey got to do Scorsese. I got to do Spielberg. Fair enough. Scorsese was his, and Spielberg was mine. Okay. So I'm sitting there, and it's like, okay, we're interviewing Spielberg. Oh, God, okay, okay, this is amazing. This yeah, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And during the, during the entire thing, there was a picture where John was telling a story. It's an old picture, black and white. John's telling a story. And I would pull the picture out and give it to anybody and say, describe to me what's going on in this. And it would usually spark some kind of a story or conversation about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, Spielberg's talking, and I'm trying to be all coy and cool. And of like course. Region. And I, as I pulled the picture out, all my notes and all my questions in my head just went flying. You know, so in the middle of the interview, it's like, boom, all I hear is paper flying, and it was almost like you could hear me go, no. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Oh, no. it's, you, you watch back the, the interview now. He's just like, no, don't, don't worry about it. He just kept talking. Uh-huh. The interesting was we had all the cameras and all the lights set up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He goes, move the camera closer to you because you want the audience to feel more of a voyeuristic. <laughs> like part of it and i'm thinking like we had this look for the whole thing and i was two seconds away from just going this is the way i want the shot to look and then that thing registers in your brain where you're like it's fucking spielberg stupid move the camera <laughs> he might know something he might know something you don't you arrogant douche <laughs> so, we moved, so i just moved my chair closer to the camera we're all good to go but it's say like, you have that stupid filmmaker like who the fuck are oh it's right you're steven spielberg oh yeah yeah, yeah i should i should probably listen <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like maybe he knows what he's talking about. Jeff. Maybe, maybe you should take a listen to him. Wow, you did your entire life for this, and now it's happening, and you're going to go, go fuck yourself. I want the camera here. It's like, no, listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Scorsese, <laughs> we chased forever. We interviewed him in New York. Mm-hmm, of course, and that was awesome. Well, he just he just talks. He'll talk for for days. As Joey and I said, why don't you watch the documentary? Just pull the string, and he just goes. Really? Yeah, he just he just he doesn't stop. He's just an all he's always teaching. Yeah, you just kind of lean. You want to lean forward with like your hands on your on your chin. Just go tell me more, Marty. Tell me. <laughs> but you start noticing little things that you're never able to notice before. Like he's got 
he's, he's impeccably dressed and he's got his his uh, initials on like the sleeve of his French cuff shirt. You know, it's like, oh, that's cool. Now, you, you know, know but by the way, do, all the stupid things. So do you know why he has that? I'll tell you exactly why he has oh, that. Tell me. I'd love to know. The reason why he is that way is that he directed a short film for this guy. What's his name? Giorgio Armani. And his deal was, I'll direct your short promotional film. I need Armani suits for life. So all of and all of all of his clothing comes from Armani, and they're all custom made for Marty because Marty directed a promotional short film for Giorgio Armani. That's a good deal. (laughs) I I, I would do that deal. I think he is. He's impeccably dressed. That's the first thing you know. It's like. Damn, dude, you look good. That's because because the man has shit customized for him by Giorgio Armani for the rest of his life. That's why. <laughs> I like that man's style. Well, it's it's Marty, man. It's it's Marty. What are you gonna do? So, uh, but anyway, so did you just contact John? And John said, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it." Oh yeah, as soon as you get back to it. So Ken still had his contact info. So we literally kind of we were talking. I was talking to Scott Mosier. I was like, "Did you know this guy was the basis for Walter and the Big Lebowski? Do you know this guy wrote Red Dawn? You know the same guy who did this did that?" And he was like, "Why don't you just do a fucking documentary on him?" It was like, "Bing!" Light bulb went off. So we called. Uh, we got in touch with John. We talked to his assistant. We pitched his assistant. We sent over like kind of a rough outline we did. Mm-hmm. And John came to our office. We we figured it was actually Kevin's office. Kevin was kind enough to give Joey and me an office in his office. Mm-hmm. So he came down to our place when he was in town because he was living in New York at the time. And him and Leonard came in and we pitched John and what should have been a one-hour meeting became a five-hour meeting. <laughs> John starts talking. He doesn't stop. Right. And this is pre-stroke. John, for anybody who doesn't know, we covered in the documentary. Yeah. He had a stroke. So John, it was – Is he getting better? By, is he getting better, by the way? Yeah, Can, he's he's talking more now. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's a slow, slow process. But mm-hmm. John, we because when we started the documentary, John had not had the stroke, and actually, we were doing a Kevin Smith show in New Jersey, one of the live things. And immediately after the show, we were going to drive to upstate New York, where John lived, and we were going to do the interview. And uh, we got a call as soon as we finished the show, saying, "Don't come up. Something's happened. Go back to L.A. We'll tell you about it later." So we were supposed to interview John the week that he had the stroke. We never actually got John on camera pre-stroke. So we actually shut down the doc for, I think it was nine months to a year. And then John came out to LA to continue his physical therapy. Mm -hmm. His kids live out here. Sure. And um, at the time, John could only say yes or no. And he didn't know whether or not he was saying yes or no. Like, that's how the aphasia through the stroke really affected him. Oh, man. It was really sad. But the kids and John, who knew everything that was going on, he just, the the way it's been best explained to me was the bridge from the brain to the mouth blew up. Right. And his body was slowly repairing it. And that's the way it was with physical. So everything in the head was there. His mind is fine. Mm-hmm. It was just he was trying to get back those motor skills and those speech skills so he could communicate. And it was kind of this thing of this guy who loved nothing more than to talk and share stories was now robbed of that. 
So he yeah. was trying to get it back. So his family and John, they still wanted to continue going down the road of the documentary, and that's what we did. And we were able to get him on camera for the end of the documentary and get him to talk and do all that other kind of stuff. So, yeah, he's definitely doing better and coming back, and he's got other projects. He's got this Genghis Khan. Yeah, he's been trying to do that forever, right? Yeah, they're trying to find a director right now for it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a movie movie because it doesn't have a cape or a superhero in it. Yeah. Uh, not but anymore, I don't right? even think in this day and age, I think it's going to go to someplace like Netflix or HBO, someplace where you can do cool stuff. John's first draft of that. And it's amazing. It's everything you wanted John Milius script to be. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's got that thing of, you know, um, I think his first draft of the script was on like 230 pages. <laughs> because it's because <laughs> it's because it's, it's John Milius. Why yeah, not? I think if it goes someplace like HBO or Netflix, it can be a miniseries, which I think is really what it should be to be able to tell that story and have those massive epic. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like what uh, Kubrick's doing. Uh, Kubrick, they're doing uh, Napoleon, that Kubrick script. Go. Yeah, that Kubrick script. I think Spielberg's trying to get Napoleon done as a miniseries because it was just some. I mean, massive amount of stuff. Um, so you also worked with Marvel for a little bit, man. What? Did, how was that? You worked. You did two docs uh, for them, like the Marvel seventy five and Captain America seventy five, right? That was fun, and that was fast. That was super. I got a call from Matt Pernasiero, who um, he was the EP on Milius, and we'd gotten to be friends. He was also a producer. He did Fanboys, and I did a little piece in Fanboys, and we had friends and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, I got this thing with Marvel. It's called uh, 75 Years from Pulp to Pop. And it's going to be Marvel 75 Years, and we're going to do it an hour special for ABC. Like, uh, yeah, I'm in because I like comic books. I knew a lot of that stuff. Sure. But from from getting that phone call to airing it was seven weeks. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was it was insane. like how the hell do you like coordinate all those interviews? <laughs> it was it was that thing of Marvel was a lot of help. John Cerilli and Harry Go at Marvel were huge helps, mm-hmm. and you know, and getting everything going. Scott Mosier was the editor on the first one, so that put me at a place of I've never directed a network special before. This should be oh shit, but I had Mosier there, I had Matt Pernasiero there, I had my buddy Andre there, who had you know knew. I was like, okay, we're in a good place. We can keep going. And uh, we just did it. It was one of those things where, okay, you don't have time to be scared. Just do it. Wow. And even Scott hit me up, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I finally watched it. It's actually pretty good. We did a good job on that. <laughs> yeah, is. Is, that a, is that an impression of Scott? Yeah, he's got – There's. he's really dry, very dry. From what I've seen in the behind the scenes, you, you've, hit, you've hit him pretty good on the nose. <laughs> yeah, usually I try to do the opposite because everybody's got a Mosier. I do, hi, I'm Scott Mosier. It's, like, it's just stupid. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a year later, because – and the thing is, when that thing aired, it was election. It was the midterm elections. Mm-hmm. And Marvel did – or I think ABC didn't really have a lot of faith in it. They didn't think it was really going to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it aired election night. I think a quarter of the country never even saw it because all the election coverage was going on. Right. And then all of a sudden, it was like it started like – you got great reviews – and then DVR was a huge thing, and people bought it on iTunes, and people were loving it. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, okay, we think we pooched this one." So we did another one of the following year. Captain America was Captain America, which was great. I'm a huge Cap fan. Mm-hmm. I got to meet all these guys, and 
you met Ka- you met Cap for God's sake. Ah, got, I met Cap. Even I got my I got a. We have a shield. If you watch the documentary, we bought a one to one replica metal shield mm-hmm. of Cap, and as a wrap gift, uh, Matt Pernicieri says keep it. Just keep it. So when we went to go interview Chris, I was like, hey, man, could you sign my shield? He goes, sure. So I got a signed metal Captain America shield. <laughs> my nice. total nerd in me was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. This, this is going to be, awesome. so, be so cool in my office. This is going to be yeah, awesome. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> my, my sister worked on – we signed an NDA because we couldn't talk about anything because mm-hmm. they were doing Civil War. Sure. My sister was working on Civil War in Atlanta. So it was nice that like I could talk to my sister and be like, so what's going on? Oh, we're doing this. Yeah, we're doing this over here. But she and I were the only ones who could talk because Marvel locks you down. You're not allowed to speak about anything. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, yeah no, it was fun. But that was another one where I think we had, I think that one, they, they were nice and they gave us eight weeks to do it. Oh, that was nice. That's nice. That was nice. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a blast. You'd end up traveling around the country and... You know, shooting all these interviews and meeting all these people and getting to tell this story and really, and I, me as like Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. kind of enabled it since the Jack Kirby estate was kind of finished all their lawsuits with Marvel. We were able to say Jack Kirby was a massive influence. Mm-hmm. Joe Simon, like these guys, the creators, we were able to put a real focus on the creators and the comic book guys, not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But right, right. It started with a bunch of guys who were usually poor Jewish they were bullied they were all this yeah, stuff yeah I remember yeah. and they created this amazing guy who we now it's like it's cap you know it's great that's awesome man. that's awesome so now after all of this you've you've had this a, a pretty cool career uh, so far and then you get a shot to direct your first feature film yeah which is called Supercon which uh, is Yep, and you've got you got a pretty decent cast, I would say. Not bad. <laughs> not, not bad, bad for bad. your first time out. Uh, you got an Oscar-nominated Mr. John Malkovich in the movie. Yeah, I, I still don't know how that went. Yeah, you've got to tell me, man. Well, first and foremost, how did the movie come together? How did like the financing, the this, the that? Because it's not a, it's not like my movie, which was much lower budget than your movie. So how did how did that whole thing come to, come to, together? It came about, there was this, uh, Marianne McDonald down in uh, Austin. Um, I knew her and actually Susan Garrell, whose husband is Kenny Garrell, who I did Zach and Mary make a porno with. He was a special effects guy. Um, they were looking to put together a movie. They wanted to get in the movie business. They really liked it. So I said, okay. And they came to me and they said, do you have any ideas? I said, yeah, I got a couple of playing around with. And one of the ideas was essentially, I know... A buddy of mine is Dana Snyder, who's the voice of Master Shake on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Okay. And I had gone to this convention with him in Florida called Supercon. Yeah, I know. Right? I've been, I'm from Florida, so I'm very well aware oh, of Supercon. Oh, shit. There you go. Yeah. So I went down there with him, and it was just, we met these people and these guys. I said, God, this is like, what an amazing world. Oh, it's... Like, I'd been to comic book conventions, but I'd never seen the behind the scenes. Oh, stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. And it's a whole different world. And then essentially it was like, okay. And then we had heard this story about a bunch of guys ripping off Dragon Con in Atlanta. They had dressed up as stormtroopers, mm-hmm. gone in, and how they escaped was the 501st Legion was walking because they have this huge cosplay parade. Sure. 
downtown Atlanta. They had ripped off the office, and then how they got out was they got into the cosplay parade. And I was like, that's a great, like, heist movie. And, but like a geeky heist movie. <laughs> oh, totally. It was like, you know, you've seen all the cool, like, Thomas Crown Affair, Ocean yeah. Eleven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hell of one, two, three, all this kind of stuff. But it was like, well, what if, what if we made George Clooney and Brad Pitt morons? <laughs> I watched that. And we did this whole thing. So we essentially were going to start doing it as just that story. Mm-hmm. And I knew a couple people at Lucasfilm through my contacts with Kevin because we'd gone up to Skywalker and I mixed Milius up at Skywalker and mm-hmm. I got on. We shot some interviews for Lucasfilm. So I was like, maybe, you know, and fanboys have gotten the rights. I was like, maybe we can actually get the rights to actually use Stormtroopers. And then Disney bought them. And that's the end of that. And I was like, okay, that's Disney's never going to let that happen. So they said, well, it doesn't have to be Stormtroopers. It can be whatever we want it to be. Mm-hmm. So we started, so me and Dana and Andy Sipes, who was a writer on Code Monkeys, and he's a great writer, does a bunch of stuff. He's pitching shows around right now for something else. Um, he, he was the, matter of fact, he, him, him and his writing partner, they did that show Trip Tank on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we started writing this thing. And uh, Susan and Maria paid for it, and we wrote this script, and it was like, well, this is never going to get made. <laughs> going to get made. This right. Is, isn't that because this is just too weird and then all of a sudden they got financing and they got this other outfit involved and we all of a sudden i found myself after a year and a half down in new orleans and we're in an office and we're actually going to make the movie you know and we're sending the script out to actors and getting response and it was amazing and the cast we ended up getting was we we sent it out to john or the one of the one of the producers at the time who said it's not with the movie anymore was like, uh, we're going to send it out to John Malkovich. I was like, fucking why? <laughs> like my thing is I'm, I'm always like, I will be Mr. I, I just, I don't have enough faith in my own stuff. Even mm-hmm. though I like, like there's no fucking way anybody's going to make this. That's we Let alone get John Malkovich get in. He was, and it's not a huge part either. That's the thing. It was like John Malkovich. And we met with John because he's got a place in new Orleans. Sorry, I got another plane. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And he said he really liked the script. And Julian Sands, who's a friend of his, read it. And he goes, You got to do this because Julian, he was in Wishmaster. And he yeah, does all this. He goes, You should really do this. This is funny. So John signed on. And then we had Maggie Grace. She was actually the first one to sign on. She read it. She wanted to play Allison. She was all stoked for it. She mm-hmm. had a take on the character. She had a Pinterest board for the character she had come up with. It was mm-hmm. like, that's awesome. And then we got Clancy Brown to play. Who's you know, amazing. Clan- he's, there's no one cooler than Clancy Brown. <laughs> the guy is, is a true pro. He came to play. He's not. He wasn't that sure of himself in comedy, but it was like Clancy. Everything you've done's been funny, whether you like it or not. You know. But one of the things we have a, we have an action sequence where Clancy actually has a sword in his hand, mm-hmm. and at one point, a couple of the camera guys were getting ready to shoot. One of the camera guys leaned over to me, goes, "Dude, I just want to say thanks." I said, "Thanks for what?" He goes, "You got the Kurgan with a fucking sword in his hand again. This is fucking awesome." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no, shit! Huh? I didn't even think of that. This is great." I actually a funny thing I actually uh reached out to Clancy on a on a short that I was going to do and we couldn't get him for scheduling uh but he was such a pro man he was so sweet 
and so nice and an utmost professional. It he was could not be more awesome, especially for a first time filmmaker like me. Mm-hmm. In order, you know, to have Clancy there mm-hmm. and to be as awesome as he was, and not to say the rest of the cast wasn't. Russell's great, Mike Epps great, you know, Ryan Quan, everybody. Mm-hmm. Brooks, Brooks is a friend of ours. We got in there. It's like it's. I I could not have been more lucky with the cast that I got. You know, oh, and then some. <laughs> Absolutely. But it is. It's one of those things where uh, Supercon's a, a heist movie, but it, it really is. It's a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's a real, and it's a hard R. It gets an R-rated dick and fart joke. Mm-hmm. Like it really is. With John, with with John Malkovich. With John Malkovich, and it's one of those things, man. Where he's I never was, does he do that? Has he done? I was that? telling Molly. I was telling my wife. I was like. I called her up one day from set and she goes, what's wrong? I said, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go to movie jail after this. I'm done. I'm done. I got to, I'm going to, I got to go back to construction or something. I can't do this. She goes, what's going on? You're freaking out. I said, I've waited 20 years to do a movie since I was 20 years old. I'm 42, whatever. It's like, I've got John Malkovich and Clancy Brown. And I'm doing this scene, and in the middle of it, I just realized John Malkovich has two Academy Awards. Clancy's Clancy's worked with Dare Bodies in a. He's literally in a movie I call Perfect. You can't change it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Shawshank, and I'm just like, I've got these two guys in a movie, and I got them doing dick and fart jokes. What the fuck am I doing? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! You know, I'm just like, I was thinking. She goes, "Calm down, calm down." But it is one of those moments where you just go. And then all of a sudden you just go, wait, no, I got John Malkovich in my movie. I'm good. Brown in my movie. I got Mike. I got Russell Peters. I got, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no, this is great. We're all having a great time. So this is good. This is good. But there's that moment, man. You know, it's, man, dude, it's so funny how our paths are, are parallel in so many ways because the exact same thing. I've been waiting 20 years to make my movie and I literally just made it. And we're both editing it down the street from each other, basically. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's that thing of like, it just you have those moments where you're just like, this is awesome. This is just freaking. This is yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you're like, and it was it was it for you? Because I haven't talked to anybody else who's actually literally kind of walked the path that I've walked. Uh, we walk different paths, obviously, but uh, but we've gotten Do to it, the same. But going to the same de- destination. Same destination. So when you were making. Your first movie. I'm assuming that you did the same thing I did, which was create this mountain that was the feature film. Your first feature film. It was this monstrous Goliath that you had to climb. Yeah, and it was like, there's just no way I can't do it. It's like, and you always throw obstacles in front of yourself to not make the first, not to make it. Am yeah. I am I am I pretty close? It's that thing of like I never thought I, when we were writing, I was like, nobody's ever gonna make it. They're never going to pay. For yeah, because you've been clo- you've probably been close so often. Oh, that's it. You don't, and it's that thing of look. I always say your job in this town is not to work. Your job in this town is to get said no to. Like, yeah. that's your job. If you get a couple no's that day, but eventually, just as law of averages, you're going to have somebody say yes. It might take twenty years. <laughs> yeah, and it did for me. Like I have friends of mine who are like way more successful way earlier, but I've also never been one of those guys who gets super jealous. No other people. I'm always super happy with my friends. Like, what do you mind? George is like an actor. It's like we were tour guides at Universal Studios together. And now this guy's like kicking ass as an actor on all these shows. It's like in movies. It's like, it's wonderful. I know guys who are just like, anytime somebody else gets something, they're 
am angry and pissed. I'm like, I'm not that guy. I always root for, you know, it's hard enough in this town. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's great when somebody gets something going, they want to get going. You should be happy for them. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That thing of like doing Supercon, it was, you know, I got down to New Orleans and I was like, holy shit, we're going to do this thing. Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Then you start calling people and you get even more freaked out. (laughs) I had a mantra every morning, which was one foot in front of the other. Every time I get out of bed, one foot in front of the other. You have this massive mountain. Instead of looking at the top of it, just look down, look at your feet, just keep putting one step in front of the other. Exactly. Exactly. And then after, and after you got the whole thing in the can, that monster doesn't look it's a toothless tiger basically oh, it was like a weight yeah I was, it was like a, i would say i've got a gorilla on my back and he's always bugging me mm-hmm. he's always bugging me if i'm not doing something he's always bugging me it was like the gorilla the second we i yelled you know, ladies and gentlemen that's a wrap on supercon mm-hmm. it was our last day last shot it was like the monkey took a vacation for a little while Mm-hmm. It was just like we actually shot this thing. Like, oh, dude! Because even during production, there were we had so many things that went on. It was like we're never going to finish this thing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was like, holy shit, we got the movie in the can. Like we're going to finish this, <laughs> right? We just have post to deal with, and we, I could yeah. do, I could deal post. That's no but problem. That thing, like post is like yeah, but we've got the footage. It can now be turned into like we have the raw materials. That's essentially what everybody's wanting. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got it. It's shot. You just got to make that cake. It's got to bake that yeah. cake. And I got John Malkovich and Clancy Brown in it. I'm doing pretty good. Not not bad for yeah. your first time out, brother. Not for that. Exactly. Not not bad. Now, what was it like directing John? And and do you have any advice on directing someone of his caliber? <laughs> I I'm, I still ask the question myself. One of the <laughs> things when, when John first showed because John, we were talking about the character of Sid. And uh, John goes, uh, I said, what ideas do you have for Sid? He goes, well, I would really like to wear a toupee. I was like, cool. No problem. Because mm-hmm. originally the character was written as kind of like a Stan Lee character. Yeah, sure. When John came on, we said, well, let's ratchet it back because he's not that old and I don't want John to play, you know, 93 or 94, whatever Stan is. Nothing mm-hmm. against Stan. Sure, sure. Like we need to do, we need to do a little pivot on the character here. So I was like, okay. And he says, I really like to wear a toupee. And I really like to wear a bow tie. That was his only thing. I said, okay. And then, but he doesn't know much about comic books. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, John, I said, you really don't need to know much about the comic books. It's like any kind of creative thing. I said, really, it's about the people who make them. So mm-hmm. I started telling about, you know, uh, there's a guy by the name of Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin created Thanos and Star-Lord, these, you know, big things. And I started saying, instead of Stan Lee, I said, I think it should be a little more like Jim Starlin, who went to Vietnam, came back. You know, he went to Vietnam because he was, he was going to art school. I went through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But he's the nicest guy in the world. And he goes, okay, I got that. And I said, no, John, I said, look, I'm not going to be the arrogant douchebag director here. I said, I'm just going to ask you straight out. I said, is there a particular way that you want to be directed? Because I've been in front of the camera, I've been behind. I know some actors want to be completely left alone. Some people really want you to get in there and really work with them. I said, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say I know how to direct you. I said, you obviously know what you're doing. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm glad you asked the question. I wish more directors would ask that. Would, would would ask the question. He goes, if you don't see me doing something you think is true to the character, bring it up to me and we'll talk. I said, okay, perfect. 
And there were a couple of things. There was a scene between John and Clancy in the rehearsal we did. John did this really kind of angry kind of take. And mm. I loved it. And then when we started rolling camera or, you know, hit the button on that, on the Alexa, mm-hmm. John was doing it, but he wasn't getting this kind of anger that I wanted because essentially John's character never gets that. You never see him angry. You never see him turn the side. And I said, this is the part. So I just went up to John and said, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. In the rehearsal, you did a real angry take. I said, this is the scene where I want to see that part of Sid. This is the part I want to see. Sid hasn't been this angry since Vietnam. You know, mm. he was enlisted. He's pissed off at the officer. She goes, ooh, Lieutenant Newberry shows up. And that's all he needed. And then all of a sudden, we, we go back and I go, action. And we run this thing out. Mm-hmm. And we shoot it. And John, we shot in this auditorium. And it's just him and Clancy and the crew. You know, we're behind. And John does this thing. And it's amazing. And I just, <laughs> I looked at my first AD, Doug, and I just, he looked at me like, I don't think that's going to get any better than that for today. I was like, cut, that's a wrap. And we're, we're good. We're good. <laughs> we're good. We got to get any better. And John was like, where you at? I said, John, are you kidding me? Like, it's amazing. Even Clancy came up and he goes, that was awesome just to be on the opposite side of him. Like, he, he just. <laughs> One of these amazing kind of like, all right, so John's going to put on a clinic right now for everybody. Yeah, it's, Even the, and the crew, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of awesome when the crew comes up and goes, holy shit. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. When a crew, yeah. when a, when you got the grip going, damn, that was good. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's it. When you, you know, you think, okay, we got something special in that take. Something, <laughs> something kind of awesome well, right there. Why are you going to do that? Yeah. I would say this as far as doing a first with the budget level we had, which was about $8 million. Oh, I had a first AD. Okay. I had a first AD and a production designer. Now, everybody on the crew is great, but the two guys I leaned on the most in prep, I leaned on this guy, Freddie Woff, who was my production designer. Who's amazing. He did bone Tomahawk Freddie. Cause I don't know shit about production design mm-hmm. and I like stuff and we're very good friends now. Mm-hmm. And I leaned on him a lot. But then when we got into production, I had a first AD, his name's Doug Metzger, and Doug did Dances with Wolves. Doug did The Italian Job. He, just, he had just finished Baywatch with... Um, with, with uh, uh, yeah, with The uh, Rock. The Rock, yeah. And Doug Doug was the first AD on a movie I was, I did a, I was a horrible stuntman in called On Deadly Ground with Steven Seagal. That's right. Hey, On Deadly Ground. That was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was like, the was that his directorial debut, if I remember correctly? Yes, it was. You see? Uh, yes, debut it was. It was a horrendous. That was the Alaska movie, right? That was that whole it was oil and Alaska, and Michael Caine was the villain. What a horrible black fucking hair, movie. With black hair, Michael Caine, and he does this speech at the end, which is. Oh, of, it was so bad. And he was walking around in some sort of like. Indian coat or something like that. It was just oh, oh yeah. pelts or something. It was just horrendous. Okay, good. Spectacular. But Doug was the first AD on that movie, and I had always remembered Doug because Doug was the only person on that movie. Him and the actor by the name of Mike Starr, who was in Jersey Girl, mm-hmm. and I've actually gotten to know a little bit because he hangs out at the same restaurant bar I hang out in now, mm-hmm. and it's kind of great. 
Um, but Doug was the first AD on that movie and him and Mike were the only really nice guys on that set. <laughs> and I would always remember like for a first AD to be a nice guy like that. So years later, a stunt guy by the name of Gary Jensen introduced us cause he's like, you got to talk to Doug and Doug became my, my cornerstone, my, whatever the hell you want to call it. Like people would come up with questions cause essentially your job more than anything when you're directing isn't like, Oh, this is, I want the camera to flow. It's like, Red, green, yes, no. You have to have a decision. Even if it's wrong, you better have a decision. And you, it doesn't matter. You better have it because you've got entire departments who are ready to go. So you have to know everything you want to be in this movie. Yep. And sometimes when we run in the schedules, like we, li- we have a dance sequence in this movie. We have a musical number that has no place being there, but it's everybody's favorite scene. But when we're shooting it, we're in New Orleans. We're outside. It's at night. It's 97 degrees, 100% humidity. It's mosquitoes, fire ants, the whole thing. And one of the grips, no fault to his, he put a spike down to hold something down, and he hit a water main. So all of a sudden, this dance sequence that we had with a 30-foot crane arm and all this other stuff we can't do because now we're flooded with four inches of water. And you're below sea level, so the water's not sinking. So all of a sudden, oh, shit. All right. How are we going to do this dance sequence? How, how are we going to do this musical number? Like, mm-hmm. this is impossible. I got, I, I had seven crew, I had seven crew, I had seven cast members, 50 extras, and 100 crew. And everybody's looking at you going, shit, what do you want to do? <laughs> so I had remembered a story that uh, I had just told Doug earlier that day, and we were laughing about it because he goes, that's actually a really good idea, which was essentially John. John Milius had gotten to know John Houston. And he says, you know what, John, if you ever don't know what to do one day, he goes, if you're ever trying to figure out what to do, he goes, when you show up to set, go to your, go to your first AD and your grips, and your, get all the departments, say, I want 50 yards of dolly track set up right here. <laughs> 50 yards of dolly track, and that's going to take them till lunch to set that up. Because they've got to put the lights. Oh, no, it's a fucking, it's a a nightmare. Yeah. And essentially, so they go off and do it. And that buys you about four hours to figure out what the fuck you want to do. Okay. So essentially, and I was like, and then after lunch, you go, okay. And John's story is Houston goes, okay, I don't like it. Tear it all down. Put the sticks right here. (laughs) You figure out what you want to do. (laughs) So all of a sudden, I've got, we can't turn off the water. It's just billowing over we've got a marsh created i've got literally 175 people literally standing there looking at me going what the fuck do you want to do now and i looked at doug and doug looked at me and i said okay i want dolly track here <laughs> I want dolly track here because we have two cameras and i said just set it up and i remember zorn the dp was like well you know i really think i was like zorn can be dolly track here can be dolly track here. and that bought me a half hour <laughs> sit with Doug and go, okay, how the fuck am I going to do this now? And Doug was like, that's good. But you really, you got, you got 30 minutes to figure out what the fuck you want to do. So we figured it out and we got it. And it's now everybody's favorite scene in the movie, but it's, I had storyboarded that thing for two months. Of course. Sequence. And it gets thrown and, out. Oh yeah. And literally got thrown out because I knew I was like, I have to know every single shot we're going to do in the movie. Every single shot we're going to do in this sequence because I'm not going to have enough time because it's, it's plus it's in the summer. So the nights are shorter. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten the crew to be willing to work French hours 
Mm-hmm. So there wasn't going to be a lunch break. But what are what are French hours? French hours essentially you work through lunch. Okay. You don't actually break for lunch. So you show up to work, you work ten hours instead of twelve, and but you burn all the way through. You just okay. go. You don't break for lunch. We bring out food to you. You eat there because the nights are shorter. Got it. And plus, it was like nobody wants to shoot at night. It's fucking humid. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, 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 yeah. I'm from Miami. Okay. I get it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, okay, so that's well, that was my thing. I was like, and then all of a sudden, and I think the one thing I learned too is you have to be prepared. You have to know what you want. But when something like that happens, or when an actor comes up to you and says, "I got an idea," or you go, "This, I want to do this," or maybe I want to do this, you have to be able to go. Yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. We should use that. Don't lock yourself off to what you drew on a piece of paper on your iPad or what you're showing. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're hiring these actors for a reason because they're talented. They bring something to the table. And I always believe that once an actor does a role, really they own it Mm -hmm. because that's who they're going to be associated with. And plus you may not come back for future sequels or if there are sequels, Mm -hmm. because there are sequels, but the actor is more than likely. And they're, associated with this character that's now i look at it as there's like you know you're kind of the the surrogate you write it you birth it you hand it over and then you just kind of go okay you're on your own you're at college knock yourself out mm-hmm. so but yeah no and also no tricks like set up the dolly track over here so you can buy yourself a half hour to figure out what the fuck you're gonna do that's a, that's a great 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 piece of uh, a, a great knowledge bomb as i call it uh freak out the crew will look at you if you freak out the crew freaks out you but yeah, yeah 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 so what so real quick what is the biggest lesson you learned shooting your first film um uh, biggest lesson i learned um god there's so many <laughs> um don't stop until you get what you want when mm-hmm. you get what you want stop don't there's a thing now with uh, a lot of people just want to shoot to shoot or let the camera run. Oh God. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of that, especially like in a comedy. Like, <sighs> no, cause I'm in post. That's why I hate it because I have yeah. to deal with it later. It's just seeing amounts of footage you got to go through. That's it. It's like, if it's funny, that's different. I, at least in a comedy, you know, like I'm, I'm coming from a comedy standpoint right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, I just don't want to do comedy. I want to do other stuff too, but it's that thing of, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You've got X amount of shots to do in the day. I went, I was a first time film director. I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I did have money because we built an entire comic book convention. I had real actors, but with that comes its own restrictions as well. It's not like. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. It's not that at all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but your time is your time is is so precious and you have to get through X Y and Z shots. So, stay on the shot until you get what you want, but know when you got it to move on to the next thing. My entire time I never went I went over I went over 12 hours one day and I only went over a half hour. Nice. Because I'm not a fan. If Clint Eastwood can shoot all his stuff and have it look as good and amazing as he does in eight hours, mm-hmm. no reason why I shouldn't be able to do it in 12. <laughs> right. Me having, you know, spent the last 20 years working on film sets, working 12 hours, man, it just kicks your ass. It does. 
Then you start going into 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. And you might be able to pull that off a day or two, man, but, you know, we're not 20. Yeah, and the crew <laughs> is going to, like, go, oh, fuck yourself. And plus, I just yeah. I think it goes to show you don't know what you're doing. Right. It's not like we're in Louisiana. We had rain. We had, And rain wasn't the problem. The problem was lightning. Mm, of course. Because when you're shooting outside, lightning hits. If it's in a certain um, range of space, like five miles out, you instantly shut down for 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're not shooting anything because the crew can't even move the gear inside. The gear the crew instantly walks into a safe place. Well, shit, man! When you're shooting an independent film in New Orleans in the middle of summer and it does nothing but rain, forty forty minutes is yeah. Time is precious. Time is precious. You can't. You got to know what you want and go. You know so that's the big thing. Manage your time. Get get what you want, but at the same time, when you get what you want, move the fuck on. Yeah, that's a that's a good quote. <laughs> that would be that would be the one thing I'd bet. Plus, have a really good first AD, a first AD who's far more. Every, matter of fact, everybody you hire should be vastly more talented and experienced than you are. Yep. Amen. Amen. You know, I know a lot of people get threatened by somebody who's more talented or more experienced. No. I'm not. I'm not going to say I know everything. I know what I want, but it's that thing of, oh, you got a better idea? What is it? Yeah, at the, end of, at the end of the day, you, yeah. If somebody's got a better idea, I'm using it. Right, because it's, you, you get the credit for it later. Yeah, that's right. it. If it's not good, hey, if I'm going to take the hit anyway. Or I'm more prepared for the hit than I am for the for the accolades. You know, it's one of those things like I always expect everything to go the worst and all that other kind of shit. But man, when it's good, I'll take it. And it's great, you know. The actors came up with stuff. Freddie came up with stuff. Doug, first AD, came up with gags. Because mm-hmm. he did the scary movies with... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zucker, and I, or not Zucker, but with the Zucker brothers. Like, why am I not going to listen to him? Yeah. He's got great ideas. Yeah, I'm using them. Done. So, out of all these people you've worked with, Kevin and, and, and John, and, and you've interviewed so many amazing people, is there one piece of advice that any of them gave you that you can share with the audience? Uh, Bob Gale. And it was that I kind of went over it earlier, which was, uh, the main job as a director is going to be to just have a, just make a decision. That's your job is to answer questions, which is essentially making a decision. Somebody comes up to you and goes red, green, look at it. Green. Even if you're wrong, you can fix it later, but have a decision for them. What do you want to do? Yes or no? You got to make the decision now. Because like on our on our movie, it was a hundred thousand dollars a day, essentially. Mm-hmm. It was, or not a hundred thousand dollars. It was some something weird. Yeah, it was like a hundred thousand dollars a day. Jesus. So every hour was costing us about nine thousand dollars. So like the more you're sitting there with your thumb up your ass, going, I don't know. And I've worked with those guys before. Of course, we all have. <laughs> uh, just, I don't know. What do you think? Like fuck you, man. You're the director. You figure it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't want to, and I'm not, Kevin was never that way. Kevin always knew what the hell he wanted. Kevin always had the movie in his head before we even started shooting. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what he was going to get. If anything else he got was gravy. You know, the, and the other thing Kevin does is he runs a, he tries to keep the set fun, which is something I try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Quentin plays music and all this stuff. I, I find it, I don't have enough time to play DJ as well. I'm not that skilled. Mm-hmm. But I want everybody to know that they're doing a good job. You know, like extras. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have made this movie without background actors and extras. 
So do something as simple as at the end of the day, go over to where your extras and background are and just say thank you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, man, I was getting thank you notes from extras and background actors. Or, and I was like, how am I getting? But it was because I just took enough time to say thank you. To the crew, same thing. Always tell them thank you. If you yep. see somebody do a good shot, your focus puller really nails a difficult shot. Let the son of a bitch know. Because they work with people all the time who don't. And I never get that. I was saying it's it's nice because your crew's in there with you. Mm-hmm. Your crew is in there with you. And they're going on this journey too, and they don't want to make shit. Nobody gets in the business to make shit. They want to make something good too. So if they see you're excited and the actors are happy and the rest of the crew, that that's gonna it's that leadership thing. And I don't I never kind of I'm a leader, but it's that if I do it and I know everybody's looking to me, mm-hmm. it'll be better. I it just it makes a better experience for everybody. Yeah. And I try to do all the time and no matter whether I'm working on a documentary or whether I'm working on a feature film or behind the scenes or helping somebody out. It's like, if you have a positive attitude toward it, mm-hmm. it's kind of bleeds over into everything else for everybody. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I do the same thing on my sets. It's absolutely, you always be thankful and always be grateful for them. And, and you're right. They just are not used to it a lot of times, which is mind boggling, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked with directors who are just complete pricks mm-hmm. and I just see the crew shut down on them. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're getting paid union anyway, so we'll do what we want when we want to do it. Mm-hmm. That's like, I don't want, you, you hate going to work. I do. I never, I, the whole reason why I'm in this business, so I don't have to wear a suit. I like wearing flip flops and shorts, although I don't wear flip flops on set. <laughs> but that thing, like getting up and going to work is awesome. I don't, I always hated working on a set where it was like, God damn it, I gotta go to work today. Shit. Mm-hmm. I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. I never want to experience that feeling because then it's like a job. I don't want to have a job. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to work in a factory. I could do that. I don't want to do that. Some people do it great. Knock, knock yourselves up. That's not what I personally want to do. I want to do this and I want to have a good time doing it. I want the people around me to have a good time doing it. Amen, brother. Amen. That's kind of my. <laughs> Mantra. Mantra. I got a whole bunch of other shit, but it's that's 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 the big one. (laughs) So I have uh, two last questions I ask of all of my guests, sir. Uh, These are my Oprah questions, so be careful. (laughs) Oprah question. (laughs) I was waiting for the James Lipton Actors Studio. No, no. It's like if you were if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? No. Um, What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in life or in the film business? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> good one. Really good question. I'm trying not to give you some witty bullshit answer and give you an honest one. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. The people that surround you influence you. Mm-hmm. That's, the one, that's the one I never really bought for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that surround you influence you and they can help propel you or pull you back. I've been lucky enough to where over the last couple, you know, 20 years, I've met friends of mine because I was a bouncer in a titty bar. Those guys are still my friends. Mm-hmm. And they actually give me really good notes on projects. <laughs> right. They're very, and they're very supportive. And then, you know, the guys I work with who I'm very tight with now, like Dana and Andy and Jay Edwards, my editor, and these guys, they're all driven. And they help propel you forward and be more creative. So the people that you surround, if you surround yourself with, it's never going to happen. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. You don't need that. You're going to get enough of that in this business. Mm-hmm. So surround yourself with 
creatives that are positive, but at the same time, not delusional. There's, there's a reality involved there. There's absolutely, that's absolute truth, my friend, because I tell you, you know, when I was in Miami, it, you know, I loved Miami, but I was there for a long time, but the business is just not the same as LA, obviously. And the second I landed in LA, man, I just took off because I was surrounded by people, just a different caliber of, of professional and, and good people. Closest people to ever get to Hollywood is just getting off the plane. So you've kind of already won at that point, but that's not the goal. Always keep the goal in mind. I'm not saying I haven't reached mine. I'm still going for it. So yeah, I'm I know sure. exactly what you're talking about. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And you just, you know, when you, when you work with, you know, I mean, you, you worked with Kevin uh, for a long time and just by working with him that I'm sure propelled your skill level to a much higher level. Yeah. It was film school. Yeah. You know, you went to the Kevin Smith film school. <laughs> Very much so. I always say like some people, as you know, did you go to film school? I said, not really. It's kind of the school of the streets. It was really the Kevin Smith, Scott Mosier film. Yeah. It's just school of film. Yeah. That's not a bad film school to go to. I'll tell you the truth. Yeah, good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Tuition was good. <laughs> So, um, and then what are the three, three of your favorite films of all time? Um, well, first off star Wars, but I count the original trilogy as one film, the, the, Fair the enough. Trinity. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with a movie called revenge that Tony Scott. Oh my God. It's an amazing film. It's yeah. an amazing movie. I love, love like, like studio version. And I like his director's cut that he put out, but I actually do like the studio version better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think revenge is every, it's everything I want in a movie. That's it's so good. <laughs> it's beautiful. The story, it's heartbreaking. It doesn't have a happy ending. Nope. I'm a huge Tony Scott fan. I don't think he gets enough credit for his influence on film in the last 30 years. And he changed, um, he changed the action movie. I mean, he was, he did. yeah, he, he did change the action movie. He I, changed everything in my opinion. And that was one of those movies. And I, I was working at a video store when that came out. And that movie was one of those that just kind of came and went. It wasn't a big hit at the time. It kind of grew quietly. But it's just one of those odd movies that, not odd in the sense of the story, but odd that it didn't get the recognition that it should be. It had Kevin, uh, Kevin Costner in it and Madeline Kevin Stowe and Madeline Anthony, Stowe, Anthony Quinn. And uh, Jose Ferrer, or not Jose, Miguel uh, Ferrer, and John, John like Lama, yeah, first I, movie ever. Yeah, it was so freaking good and it's shot like a tony scott movie yeah it's shot like a tony scott movie i mean it's gorgeous when i did that mel gibson movie we shot in the same locations that they shot revenge which was also a lot of the same locations that they shot man on fire which is my other movie which Mm -hmm. is another tony scott thing or not another i won't throw another tony scott one in there but to stand there in those locations where they shot those movies and i was like oh shit tony scott like Walked here. Smoked a cigar <laughs> in that shitty vest, that ball cap, walking around. And he was, he, and he wore spandex a lot. I heard. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, I, no, I saw that. I, I saw that from like Days of Thunder, where he's like walking around. No, he's got. Uh, he's got to Speedway with that director's vest on and he's a got cigar the, and a ball cap. And I was like, that, that's ballsy, dude. That's exactly how he did it. But then he would wear black spandex underneath for comfort. And it was I saw that it was the behind the scenes of. Um, Oh God! What was that? The the Will Smith, Gene Hackman. 
Oh, en- Enemy of the State, the yes. unofficial sequel to the conversation. Yes, that one, exactly. The unofficial what sequel. What the fuck is that about, man? But, I remember watching it going, that's the conversation. This is a sequel to the conversation. But the, the, but the funny thing is that um, behind the scenes, I would see it and he would be just dressed in fucking spandex. And, I, I and, will say this. And Will Smith would just bust his balls. Two things you're going to want to do, especially if you're working in New Orleans or anywhere where there's any kind of heat or cold, make sure you got on comfortable shoes. Always. Okay. Personally, Russell Peters bought me a pair of Nike Air Force One fly knits. Mm-hmm. I'm never wearing another pair of shoes in my entire life. They're <laughs> awesome. They are the best, most comfortable shoes you can wear on set. Don't be a fucking dick and wear a suit to set. These guys, <laughs> their name is Sam fucking Raimi. Right. Or, 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 or Scorsese. God bless. Yeah. Or Scorsese. And Scorsese, you see pictures of him. He's chilling out. He's not wearing a fucking suit every day. Yeah. Don't be that dick that, that pretentious fucking prick there's <laughs> nothing there's no purpose to wear a suit on set it's just fucking stupid <laughs> I, I never I, I see pictures of some guys wearing i'm like don't be a fucking dick why don't you wear a monocle and and, and a loud uh one of those bullhorns as, as yeah. well <laughs> said, unless your name is sam Raimi or alfred hitchcock you're not allowed to wear or or i tell you paul feig because paul dresses. yeah He's immaculate, man. Oh, he, yeah. Immaculate dresser. I don't want to see Paul in anything other than a suit at this point. If Paul ever wore a pair of jeans and a pair, a pair of jeans and sneakers, I'd be like, Paul, you're falling apart. <laughs> exactly. What the hell's going on? Yeah. You've got to get your back in a best boat so jacket and the whole So thing. what you're saying is basically if you're going to wear a suit to set, first of all, you have to be a really talented filmmaker. And secondly, you've got to start that way. Kind of yeah. like set the precedence. Not the press. It, yeah, <laughs> just don't all of a sudden. And God damn it, wear it well. Sam <laughs> Raymond wears it well. Paul wears it well. Hitchcock, Hitchcock wore it wear well. Yeah, exactly. Don't be that wash and wear dickhead. Like, <laughs> God damn it, shine your shoes, you dirty piece of is shit. That, is that off the rack? Is that off the rack? Seriously. <laughs> oh, that shit drives me insane. I'm not exactly the most, like, I'm not, I don't have the Calvin Klein body. You're not the fashion all. forward guy. I, I feel yeah, you, brother. Exactly. I feel, me me yeah, neither. I'm I'm board shorts and flip flops if I had my choice. Dude, I'm literally in board shorts and flip flops right now. <laughs> Another movie I think doesn't get enough credit, and I put the I pick out three is tough, but they're comedies because I, I I like I go and, and, and with power I go comedy. That's again, kind of, but to go without saying, obviously Shawshank is Shawshank. So. Shawshank is perfect. You yeah, can't, you, yeah. It's one of those things where like Shawshank, you can't. There's very few films where you're like, don't touch a frame. You Not can't nothing. Touch a frame. Nothing. Nothing. And Shawshank is one of them. It's a perfect, perfect movie. Yes. A perfect blend of comedy, action, drama, everything is like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. I will watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every, it's like, a masterpiece. It's a yeah, master- it is. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's one thing I think I'm I think Marvel does I think Marvel does better than most, but I still don't I still I haven't seen the action star mm-hmm. that gets beat up. Indy gets the shit kicked out <laughs> all the time, dude. All Holy the time. Well, I mean, look at same thing with Bruce, man. Bruce got picked. At, I mean, John McClane gets the shit kicked out of him all the yeah, time. You can relate to him. That's one kind of why I really do like the Jack Ryan movies, or at least the very first one mm-hmm. with Alec Baldwin, because I like the books too. Because it's here's a guy. He's like, I'm an analyst. I'm not a fucking. I'm not a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. I'm an analyst. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I write books. I write fucking manuals this is what i do and all of a sudden this guy's thrown into it john mcclain doesn't have any shoes on he's a cop from new york all of a sudden he's got to save everybody in an office building and do all this. it's like it's but, a relatable hero but, but and i'd like to see when your movie hero. the worst thing to me is like the movie hero who 
can do no wrong, and he looks great. It's just you mean the Schwarz- you mean the Schwarzenegger uh, Stallone. Uh- John Claude Van Damme world, but yeah, even, but even their early stuff, like the best Schwarzenegger stuff, like take Predator. Predator, that's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. And he gets the shit kicked out of him. He does. Movie. No, you're absolutely right. He does. Commando doesn't get the Commando. Not not so much. Doesn't get exactly. kicked. But it's still Rocky. great. <laughs> Rocky's such a good fucking movie. Oh. I think he won the first fight. No, he lost. <laughs> right, he lost. If the- you ask people who won Rocky, you know, in Rocky, did Rocky win? They go, yeah. It's like, no, he lost. That's how good that fucking movie is. Yeah, Stallone. You know? I mean, seriously, dude. So yeah, so I, I like movies where the where the heroes get get you know they beat the the, the thing that they're going to plan on happening never happens. I that's that's my favorite stuff. It's like indie. He's fighting a guy with a plane spinning propellers. Guy hauls off, hits him. Indy hits the deck, and it's just like you can. He just falls to the ground on his ass, and it's like blood coming out of his lip. It's like, oh, you got a long way to go, dude. How are you thinking <laughs> yourself out of this one? You know, <laughs> that was a perfect movie as well. So, what was it? What was your third one? It was or any of those the third one? I'd say you know, it's going through it, it'd, it'd be a toss up between Raiders and the Jerk. Oh, the Jerk, man. Yeah, Steve Martin. That's uh, one of those movies where I'm like, it opens up with, I was born a poor black child. And it's a white guy, <laughs> you know, sitting behind the rocks. Like, what? It was but, just uh, brilliant. That movie just goes places yeah. where you comedies never went. Mm-hmm. And it was Carl Reiner and it was, you know, uh, Steve Martin. It's just opti, opti for the guy. Grab for where you grab it. It's like, what the hell? But it's just one of those things where it's, I will laugh at that. I will judge, but most women, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, from what horrible bullshit research I've done, mm-hmm. they do not like the jerk. It's mm-hmm. like the reason why they don't, most women, I think, don't like the Three Stooges. Right. When I met my wife, it was like, okay, oh, so what movies you like? And we started talking. I said, yes, you like the jerk? And mm-hmm. her eyes brightened up. She was like, yeah, I love the jerk. Burned it at Peter's. I was like, oh, okay. You're, you're gonna be a keeper. You're the one. You're the one. <laughs> you're gonna be a keeper. And then she started singing the song with the ukulele and the whole. Thing. I was like, "Oh, you're good. I like you." So, I and like and, you. and I'll throw another one out from that same kind of time period. Uh, Stir crazy. Yes. Stir crazy. Silver streak. That that Gene yeah. Wilder with Richard Pryor, man. Oh, and and I mean, you look at something like like I think Young Frankenstein. Oh, you know the funny man. I had the opportunity to uh, do a workshop with the cinematographer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show of Young Frankenstein. I forgot his name. I did a week long. I sat with him and and we had lunch and we, it was like, you know, seven people up, up in Maine somewhere. And we just talked shop, man. He was just telling me these stories about, Oh yeah, you know, and he almost got an Oscar nomination for that because that was the first year that they did not do a black and white cinematography award. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that was the first year that did not do it. If he, they would have done it, he would have gotten the Oscar because there wasn't a lot of black and white films being made that year. Obviously, no, yeah. it, no, they still they don't want. I think what's the last black and white film by a studio to be made? Ed Wood. No, wasn't it um, the man who the man oh, was right there? The, um, um, Coen Brothers. Yeah, the man who wasn't there, I think, was the last. I mean, I mean there might have right. been another one. That you're right. Like a studio studio. Yeah, I think that yeah. was the the last one. But uh, but yeah, I had the opportunity to work to work with him and just have him teach you lighting. It was like, fuck, man. 
what a the great stories movie. stories behind that movie are like the sets were from the original Frankenstein because they were able to go into Universal and find the original prop guy and the original set dresser and pull those original things out. And those are what's in the movies from the original monster movies. It's like so uh, much Peter detail Boyle, went uh, into that movie and the love of it. And I mean, just Mel Brooks and the style of comedy. And I mean, God, it just... Madeline Kahn, fuck, it's just so good. Gene, w- Gene Wilder, I mean. Gene Wilder, I mean, everything about that. It's like, I look at it, I go, don't, don't, don't touch your frame. Don't yeah. touch your frame. That's don't a, touch your frame, you're messing with that magic that's on there. Just don't touch it. That's a ma- so you shouldn't go back and, and, and redo the visual effects on Frankenstein, no? <laughs> no. Leave it alone. That's part of the thing. No special, like, no special editions. No. That's why when like, oh god, people, I go on a gripe right now. It's fucking Star Wars. Everybody's like, yeah, I want to see the original Star Wars. Like, oh, the original Star Wars where it sounds all fucked up too. Well, yeah. No, I don't want that. Well, that's the original Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. The original Star Wars sounds all you know. You what you want is you want the explosion and you want the mats cleaned up. Yeah, because guess what? The original Star Wars, the mats were there, but you couldn't see them on the screen because fifty percent of the light gets lost between the projector and the screen. But you saw it on VHS. I always used to see them in VHS. I used to see the little boxes going around the uh, the Tie Fighters yes. and shit. I always used yes. to see that shit. It used to drive me nuts. Even when before I knew anything about visual effects, I'm like, what are those boxes doing there? I remember that. There's a, there's I I get certain like they did with Blade Runner. They went back and spent twenty million bucks and didn't redo anything. Cleaned everything up. Recomposited everything on that remaster that Ridley put out. And I don't it, have a, I really, I mean, it, to me, it's like, it's always up to the director too. Like the fact that George went into his movies, like, I don't give a shit. I always have. Them. Yeah. You know, like, okay. He went in and he put, you know, that horrible scene with Jabba the Hutt back in the first movie. I don't give a shit. I get, that's a great thing about DVD or Blu-ray. I just jump ahead of it. I don't care. <laughs> I, have, I have it. I mean, it's like, plus as much money as they've made off me in the last, 42 years of my life. God, how many, how many, how many copies of Star Wars do you own? <laughs> I'll tell you right. I'll, I'll, Every I'll format, I'm assuming. Right now. I bought, I remember getting the VHS when it first came out. Of course. A friend of mine had eight millimeter. Star wow. Wars, which I was like, that's gotta be worth some money. Matter of fact, uh, I got invited to go see the original print of Star Wars. Uh, Dave Mandel, who is the uh, showrunner for Veep, just won the, the Emmy here. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm few weeks ago yeah he's a huge star wars fan he's got some awesome shit yeah like he's got the chewbacca from episode one or not <laughs> not, not episode he's got chewbacca from from episode four wow which was actually the other outfit was used as chewbacca's wife in the christmas special oh let's not talk about that oh and he owns it <laughs> but it's great it's one of those things they, i'm not saying it because he's got it it was in a new york times article they did on him and all his stuff but um, he got a hold of an original 1977 Star Wars print. And he no. in Westwood and invited a whole bunch of us to come see it, who are obviously completely, you know, goofy for Star Wars. Uh-huh. And the first reel was beat to shit. Right. For obvious, because that's the one everybody throws up. But man, to watch that movie in a theater projected. And the last reel was almost pristine. It was pretty great. Uh-huh. But to listen to the original sound and see the original picture, you're not seeing any of that stuff, but you're looking for it. And But all of a sudden, because I, I found myself like, all right, let's see this. Like, I want to see all the stuff. I've seen that movie hundreds of times. Sure, of course. I still, sitting in that theater, and I was sitting with my buddy Ryan, we're sitting there watching the movie. 
I lost myself again. Of course. I, I totally forgot about looking for all the techie shit I wanted to look for. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I was, you know, wrapped up in the story. Old again, yeah. wrapped up in a story. And even though I knew exactly what was going to happen frame by frame, I was just like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's Shark Vader. Oh my God, Shark Vader. Oh, I swear <laughs> every time he walks through that door in the opening, I get chills because I'm like, that's the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy. Uh, oh, dude. And you just know it. Holy shit. You can't even see his eyes. It's awesome. Like, yeah. You start going goofy for that kind of stuff, dude. You're talking to a guy who has a life size Yoda in his office, so uh, what? 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 I have a life size Yoda in my office, so nice. I yeah, it's I get you. And oh, by the way, I also have a George Lucas autographed lunchbox. What? Which one? Uh, the, the 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 lunchbox. The story goes, and I've I've said this on the podcast before, but my, some people might have heard it. I was working in my office uh, in in Toluca Lake uh, years ago. And my buddy goes, hey, George Lucas is having lunch next door. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Why would George Lucas be having lunch at Toluca Lake next door? That's like ridiculous. So I walk out and holy shit, George Lucas is sitting there with his daughter having lunch. And I'm like, fuck. That day I had ordered a Star Wars lunchbox, just a generic, you know, lunchbox. Yeah. You know, like on Amazon for 10 bucks. Because I always wanted to have a lunch, a Star Wars lunchbox because I'm from the 80s. So, um, and I want, so, and it came that day in the, in the window of the time that it would be in my office at work. It would have been only a three or four hour window. And that three or four hour window is when George Lucas was next door. And I always have autograph pens, uh, lying around for my clients to autograph posters and shit. And, uh, I got, the thing autographed by George Lucas and his daughter's like, yeah, just, just, just go, go, just autograph it because he doesn't sign. I mean, George Lucas never signs. So, like, really, he, I didn't know that. George Lucas never signs, and he hasn't signed for years. He never signs. So, like, if you just, just Google George Lucas autograph on eBay, just try to find one, and it's like twenty five hundred bucks. Like, God damn, I never even knew that. It George Lucas never signs, but I had him sign it to me. So I said, say, say Alex, because I'm never selling it. It doesn't matter. I'm never going to well, sell it. I had uh, worked with uh, Mark Hamill on the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And mm-hmm. I, I have a I have a mini lunchbox I got when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was an Empire Strikes Back mini lunchbox. Yeah, yeah. And Mark came into the office and Mark like brought pictures. Like He, he knows he's, he's Luke Skywalker. Of course he is. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. So he was willing to sign stuff for everybody. So I literally brought all kinds of shit. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, who should I sign it to? I said, sign it to Zach. And it was a mini lunchbox. I have it. it says, to Zach, force yourself, Mark Hamill. And I got uh-huh. a poster signed by him and stuff. It was just like, this is awesome. Is so I- the cool thing is like, I've been able to say like, because when I've been up at Skywalker Ranch, I've seen Lucas. I've never actually met the guy. Yeah. But I've seen him. But I've, you know. I've worked with Carrie Fisher a couple times now. Mm-hmm. I now have Harrison Ford in my documentary, and he jumped at the chance to be in the documentary because he loves John. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, Mark. Did you get Did you get anything signed by him when you were working? No, with? I was too much of a nerd. I, I was professional, professional. Yeah, you were professional. Yeah, you were you were a pro. Well, it's that thing of like you're sitting there, and it's like, no, I'm having a conversation with Harrison Ford. Like, this is better than anything. I do have a picture with him. I, I, I do have to say, I did get a photo with him at least because yeah. that's that's acceptable but when you bust out the shit to sign that's when you bite depends you might have crossed the line <laughs> i was and i was even thinking a couple times like oh man how awesome would it be to have a fucking you know uh 
uh, King of Comedy poster signed by Scorsese. Not Goodfellas, not Raging Bull, King of Comedy, or any of that Got a picture. I, that's where I think, like, okay, now do you mind if we take a photo? And Joe and I would get a photo with whoever it was. So, so I'd like to apologize to the audience for us just geeking out for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's the last two questions. Oh, and by the way, here's some nerdy shit about a Star Wars movie I saw for the hundredth time. <laughs> I've got autographs. Zach, man, dude, it's, I knew this was going to be an awesome interview. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show, man. Thank you so, so much for taking out the time. And I know you're busy in post with uh, Supercon, so I appreciate you taking the time out, man. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. It was a blast. I had fun talking to you. Um, any of that kind of good stuff. It's, it's, been, it's been fun. I'm sorry for wasting all of your <laughs> listeners' time. <laughs> No, hour forty two or something. Yeah, no, like we've there was a lot of knowledge in there mixed in with some geekness, uh, which I was expecting. (laughs) But little knowledge, all geek. uh, Yeah, we geeked out a bit, but there was a ton of knowledge in there. So thanks again, brother. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Supercon two thousand seventeen. Go watch it. I know it was a long one. But I hope it was worth it for you guys. Uh, I love talking to Zach. And uh, he has amazing stories. uh, Very, very funny stories and very good. And a bunch of good knowledge bombs uh, thrown out there. Uh, Really great advice for filmmakers just starting out. So I hope you guys got something out of that. Now, don't forget to head over to filmmakingpodcast.com. That's filmmakingpodcast.com. And leave me a good review, would you guys, on iTunes. It really helps the show out a lot. I really appreciate it. And if you guys want to check out what all the hoopla is with Indie Film Syndicate, and you still, you know, I know you guys might have missed the Cyber Monday, Black Friday for four or five days that we were giving you the first month for free, but I'm still going to give you guys 20% off. And you can head over to IndieFilmSyndicate.com and just use the promo code IFH20OFF. That's IFH20OFF. And I'll get you 20% off your first month of the syndicate and you can check it out it's i mean the amount of stuff that we have now closing in on 350 video lessons uh in the syndicate just hours upon hours of knowledge and information about everything you can think of in the film industry that can help you guys get closer to your goals Uh, i wish i would have had it when i was starting out it's a lot of great information in there so definitely check that out guys and also uh just someone to let you guys know i've been taking the master classes um for uh, Warner Herzog, Aaron Sorkin. I'm actually going through Aaron Sorkin's again, uh, screenwriting legend Aaron Sorkin's uh, masterclass again. Because it's so amazing because I'm in the middle of writing uh, my next project and I'm using uh, a lot of the techniques he's using uh, that he talks about in that course. Uh, but Warner's was really good. And they just released Hans Zimmer, a uh, film composing course, which I'm going to take as well because you really got to know what how to talk to a film composer and what they're doing and what their process is. Uh, and they also have Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman, which are my next ones up because I want to see what they do and how they, you know, teach actors how to act and, and how to perform and to get that information is invaluable. So all you gotta do is head over to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash masterclass. And it'll take you right to uh, the courses and check them out. See what you guys think. Uh, you know, they're really, really, really valuable. Uh, great information, and I love what those guys are doing over there. And hopefully, they're going to be coming out with some really cool ones as well. And I, just on a side note, they did just release um, the pre pre enrollment for Gordon Ramsay's cooking uh, masterclass, which I'm going to be taking because I love to cook on the side, <laughs> and uh, and I'm a big fan of Gordon and what he does. So it's going to be really cool. So 
head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash masterclass. Guys, thank you so much for everything, all the support, all the help. This has been a record-breaking month for Indie Film Hustle. We've had more traffic and more downloads than ever before uh, for the podcast and for the website. So you guys, I owe it all to you guys. Thank you so, so much for spreading the word about the Indie Film Hustle tribe and uh, getting the just getting the word out there and just supporting what I'm trying to do here at the Indie Film Hustle and uh, getting the word out there. So again, that's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming up in the new year. Uh, we still got a month left uh, in, the, in this year, but I have a bunch of really, really cool stuff coming up in the new year. And uh, I, I got some big Sundance announcements coming up again, not about getting in the festival. I doubt that I got in, but uh, about other cool stuff that we're going to be doing at Sundance. So as soon as everything is completely solidified, I'll be t- telling you guys all about it. And if you guys are going to be there, actually, if anybody is going to uh, that's listening, are you guys going to be at Sundance this year or at Slamdance? Same thing. Um, let me know. And maybe we can kind of coordinate a little meet and greet, uh, kind of get together, an indie film hustle kind of get together at a, a bar or something like that one night. We can all kind of sit down, meet, talk to each other uh, and uh, network and you know, kind of see if we can help each other out. So uh, if you ever, if you want to get a hold of me, just hit me up in my email, ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. That's ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. And don't forget to send me your, your, um, your questions for the new Ask Alex segment that I'm doing on the podcast. So if you have any questions, filmmaking questions, please filmmaking only. So if you have any questions about filmmaking, uh, please email me at in, uh, ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. And I'm going to pick a few uh, questions. Uh, try to do it every week, if not every other week and answer questions uh, for you guys live on the podcast to help you guys out more. So thanks again, guys. I'm not going to talk anymore. Keep the hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.